electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the two tech giants reporting after the bell and what Amazon and Alphabet's results mean to the fang trade and, of course, the overall market. We discuss and we debate that with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today are Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, Jim Labenthal. Degas Wright is the chief investment officer of Decatur Capital Management. I'll take you to the wall. I'll show you where stocks are trading today. Yes, they are ripping higher. There's obviously a lot of focus on tech. The Dow's having its best day since November. It's the best two-day gain for the S&P since that same time period. There's your picture. A better than 600-point gain for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. We'll call that 2%. S&P's about one and three quarters. There's the NASDAQ. And to the far right, the Russell 2000 having a pretty strong day, too, albeit not quite as the other three major averages. All right, Josh, we got a pretty good setup because I told you yesterday that Mike Wilson had come out and saying the correction had arrived and it's going to get worse. Well, Tom Lee is out and said, no, no, the correction ended on Friday. And now we're building on a couple of good days. So what does that mean for how our viewers should take a look at where this market is? I think you watch tech and you watch financials. Um, And the good news is financials are up 2.5%, had a little bit of a shakeout. Uh, They fell about 8% during that correction, but now they're rocking and rolling again. They're very important stocks. Um, And I think you watch tech because of how large they are in the index weighting. And the XLK is a hair away from yet more uh, all-time highs, and not unjustified. Phenomenal earnings across the board, and we'll get more this week. So uh, that's what I would be keeping an eye on. And look, you just had the biggest VIX spike ever in the absence of a 5% or higher pullback for the market. In other words, normally, when you get a VIX spike to the extent that we saw last week, that's accompanied by more than 5 or even 10% of a drawdown in the market. You just didn't have it. So what does that tell you? That does not tell you we're at a peak or we're at complacency. It's the opposite. Everyone is still scared to death. And that's the kind of condition that you want to be in if you're going to bust through and, and have another leg higher to the bull market. So the sideshows are now fading away. Responsible adults who have been um, allocating to their accounts, responsible young people who have been adding to their retirement accounts are being rewarded for having had the fortitude to live through that volatility. And uh, you've got earnings growth ahead of you. You've got the reopening. The vaccines are becoming less cartoonishly embarrassing in terms of distribution. We're actually getting needles into people's arms. And uh, things are looking pretty okay going into the spring. And I think that's Mm -hmm. where we stand right now. I'm I'm glad you set it up that way. It it really does go line by line, Steph, through what the current state of play is. And and part of Tom Lee's thesis on why he says the correction ended on Friday is exactly the VIX and the way that the VIX is now reacting. Yes, it got a touch above 30. Now it's mid-20s. 
you know, he's always maintained that the VIX is the place to watch the most because, yeah, 37, sorry, because if you if you have a VIX under 20 or low 20s, um, that's as much of a buy signal, Steph, as anything else. And also to Josh's point, that's why there's so much focus on these tech earnings, which are coming after the bell today. Amazon and Alphabet following what Apple and Facebook delivered last week. Those earnings reports remain critically important for the overall market because, as Josh said, the size of tech as it represents in the overall S&P. So I know you're looking at the VIX, and, and, and I am too, but I'm also looking at the 10-year. And we talked last week very briefly when the short, sellers, short selling covering started happening in GameStop and AMC, etc. I was worried because it seemed to have a contagion effect where obviously we had a lot of people selling their winners um, to cover their shorts, but then also we had the 10-year fall below 1%. And that was the thing that got me a little concerned. So I am actually very relieved. The VIX has come down short, but that the 10-year now is at 109. Look, we had a 75% uh, um, pullback. Um, sorry, we had a 75% gain in the markets from the March lows. And so we were due for a pullback, for sure. So it's healthy. And I'm looking at earnings. And so far, we've seen 80% beat rate. Um, and uh, we still have a long way to go. But stocks follow profits, and profits are going higher. And I think, sure, we can have some corrections along the way. But I think that if profits are going higher, that's a good sign. Yeah. Degas, where are we? Do we have to worry about a correction that still has more pain, as Mike Wilson says? Or can we take relief in Tom Lee's thought today that the correction, it came, it went, and now we're back to focusing on the vaccine and the virus trends are moving in the right direction and we're thinking about the reopen. And you can even see it in the market today, which I'll get to some of those names after you give me your answer. Yeah. So, Scott, so ultimately what we see is that the markets will end the year higher. However, we still have some choppy markets. So I would say that the first half of this year through June, we may look for additional pullback. And we're looking at right now we're around thirty seven hundred on the S&P. We could see that pullback to about thirty five hundred. But we feel that at the, by the end of the year, we're going to finish probably north of, of four thousand. So what we're seeing is that choppiness going forward. And but this is still a good time to get into the market because we're definitely long term investors. Yeah, Jim, 600 beans today on the uh, on the Dow, at, at least, you know, right, right at this moment. A lot, as I said, of those recovery plays are working today, whether it's Disney, which is and at least it was, you know, the best performer in the Dow, whether it still is now. I'm, I'm not exactly sure because I don't have the whole list in front of me, but it's a visa. It's an American Express. It's an MGM. It's some of those sort of reopening plays that are getting a lot of wind today. And, you know, you own some of these stocks that I'm talking about right now. And there, there's a look on our screen here, whether it's Disney or Cat up 4%. I know you don't own Cat anymore, but there's AXP, Las Vegas Sands. Oil is above 55 for the first time in a year. This is where the action is today, Jim. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to sink your teeth into. That was a pretty long list. I think I'll just start with oil. You know, Marathon Petroleum reported today. Uh, pretty good number, pretty good guidance going forward. And apropos of what you're saying about that's where the action is, the stock is up nicely. So 
I like that. By no means do I think large cap tech is dead. By no means. I did say, I think it was last week with you, Scott, that I thought it would not be the leader this year. And I'm going to stick with that. Okay. I think the cyclicals, whether it's financials that Josh is pointing to or energy that I'm pointing to, I think for this year, they can outperform big tech. But big tech is going to do just fine. You look at the valuations on an Apple or a Google and you say, these are not nosebleed territories. These are not the areas of the market markets to worry about. I do want to say one thing because we've been talking about a correction here. It's not clear cut whether the correction is over or just starting. The the rub against the correction idea is how cheap interest rates are and how the money will flood in. On that basis, it's possible that Friday was the low. So I bought a little bit today. I nibbled on some stocks. I still have plenty of cash, but I didn't want to have as much cash. One of the reasons, Jim, why, why you know, Mike Wilson says, well, the correction is not over yet, because he's not convinced, at least it appears that way from his research, that the de-risking and deleveraging of hedge funds, which has been going on through this uh, story that we've all been, been covering, he's not convinced that it's over. And as long as you still have that possibility of degrossing from large hedge funds, you still have the possibility of more weakness in the market. Do, do you buy that? I think that's a legitimate argument. It makes me wonder if that's what Apple did when it went from 145 to 131 in the space of a couple of days. But, you know, when you think of the dollar volume, the actual market cap that was lost in that move, you know, it pretty much accounts for a lot of the short uh, the short sellers losses. Um, I, I think we may be through the bulk of that. That argument, to me, it, it doesn't make me feel like we've got a lot of downside ahead of us. Yeah. Let me go to Meg Terrell. She has some breaking news regarding Pfizer for us, and I'll get back to our conversation. Hi, Meg. Hey, Scott. I just got off the phone with Pfizer CEO Albert Borla, uh, as well as Michael Dolson, the chief of R&D, and uh, Frank D'Amelio, the uh, chief financial officer. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about whether we're going to need booster shots of COVID-19 vaccines because of these variants. And we know that Moderna is already developing a new construct against the B1351 variant associated with South Africa. Now, Pfizer telling me that they expect that their original vaccine should provide enough immunity against those variants. They are planning to test booster shots of their COVID-19 vaccine, as well as constantly developing new constructs of COVID vaccines in case they are needed. And in particular, they are looking at the South African and Brazilian variants, which are troublesome and potentially trying to combine some shared sort of pieces of those variants in a construct that they could test against their original COVID-19 vaccine as a booster. But this is something they are constantly looking at. And they said they want to be in a position to be able to act within 100 days on a new variant if it's needed, but they don't want to develop a new vaccine if it's not needed and then take some of that manufacturing capacity. One other thing to note from that conversation, they are also developing antiviral drugs against COVID-19. These have flown under the radar, but they said an oral version, a pill, they expect to have in a pivotal trial starting in April, guys. So this could provide another tool alongside vaccines uh, during this pandemic. Scott. And and Meg, I take this and I'm not looking at the stock price for any validation of any any point of view, uh, because it's hard to read a moment by moment thing on, on something like Pfizer or Moderna or, or anything else. This sounds to me net net really good news. Is, is that how you're taking it as well? 
Well, it depends on uh, for whom you're talking about. But, you know, Pfizer down, interestingly, 2.3 percent. I think a lot of people thought their guidance for this year was a bit light. You know, they forecast $15 billion in sales just this year from their COVID vaccine. A lot of people think that that is very conservative just based on the contracted doses, which is less than half of their capacity. Uh, so the $15 billion could really be a lot more for Pfizer. Um, but in terms of them well, thinking that their current vaccine works against these scary variants, that's good for everybody. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. I, I'm talking about greater civilization. The investor and the stock price <laughs> at this very moment is taking a backseat. I'm thinking that this is good news that Pfizer has, has told you uh, that Mr. Borla uh, and the other person that you said you spoke with uh, had told you that it's not like they are rushing to have to retool or remake a vaccine because they think that what, what they've done uh, so far uh, has the efficacy to deal with these new variants. That's the greater takeaway and maybe the greatest of the news that you just brought us. Yes, that's a great summary, Scott. And I will just note, though, they do think boosters are probably going to be needed um, to increase the antibody level, uh, whether it's of the original vaccine or something they have to make in the future is an open question. Um, but we probably are in for recurring COVID shots, just like we get flu shots every year. Yep, yep. I think we're uh, starting to get around, uh, getting our, our minds around that as well. Meg, thank you, as always. Meg Terrell with the latest regarding uh, Pfizer uh, there. Degas, I'll give a comment from you, considering you're the only one on the panel, I believe, today who actually owns Pfizer shares. Just, you know, if, you know, you can react to the news that Meg delivered to us, uh, but people are focusing on how much money these companies are, are going to make as a result of, of all of this. Your thoughts? Yeah. So, we've, well, first of all, we looked at Pfizer, and Pfizer has actually not performed as well as you would have thought given the last 12 months, given that they're leading in the vaccine and, and actually delivering vaccine. So what we're looking at is that it actually has some very positive outlook going forward for Pfizer. We look at the profitability and the profitability, if you measure that by return on invested capital, it is at the, what we call the 90 percentile. What we do for every stock is that we don't just look at intrinsic value. We look at a relative valuation and a relative uh, positioning on profitability. Once again, 90 percentile. And then we will look at valuation, which is somewhat of a different look. Like I said before, we look at a relative valuation and we're seeing that Pfizer is at the 90 percentile, which means for us that there's a lot of upside potential in the valuation and the pricing of Pfizer at these levels. So we believe that the company is definitely undervalued. And obviously the news from that we just heard just makes it even better case for forward expectations. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I was just noticing as well, I'm looking at the market overall. looks like we're at the highs of the day. Dow's up 625. Uh, again, best day for the Dow since November, best couple of days for the S&P. For that same period, we're above 2%, 628 points for the Dow. All right, Josh, um, set the stage then for me. Given all that we've just talked about, your expectations for technology, how you think it's the most important place to look right now, Apple, uh, excuse me, uh, Amazon and Alphabet, You've already maintained that you think Alphabet is going to be the number one FANG stock this year because of its uh, reopening play. You own both. Tell me, what's on the line tonight? Yeah, and they're, and they're both up today. And I think a really interesting thing that's taken place over the last few weeks is that we've dismantled that kind of risk on, risk off or vaccine on, vaccine off mentality amongst traders. It's not working anymore. Like, take a look at today. You have, you have Amazon up, which is clearly not a reopen stock, but Starbucks is up, and that is. And you go down the list. PayPal's having a good day, 
but so is Live Nation. And obviously, these things have nothing to do with each other. So I know there were people talking about coming out with these ETFs or these trading strategies where when the virus news is bad, they buy the stay-at-home stocks. And all that stupidity is over with. Nobody's doing that anymore. And thank God, because I hated it so much. So now what you're seeing is leading <laughs> stocks in each sector having their time in the sun. You have energy stocks working at the same time that payment stocks are working, at the same time that concert and, um, and, and resort hotel stocks are working. And they're working because if you're in the stay-at-home bucket, Scott, like Amazon is, the fact that we're all coming out of our houses this spring to do things live and in person doesn't change the fact that everyone has now adopted a lot of digital stuff and they won't yet give it up. So the hybrid thing is really the theme of this year. And we're going to keep DocuSign. We're not going to throw that out. We're going to keep paying people with Venmo. We're not going to throw that out. But we are going to reopen. So I think that leaves a lot of opportunity for people to own stocks in both camps and forget about that game. I think Amazon, uh, What? What if I, if, I, if I were an analyst tonight, I would ask about how the comps are going to be going up against the pandemic months. Right. Because obviously e-commerce just went bananas, especially categories like grocery. Those will be tough comps uh, when we're lapping them to go up against. That might be an area where maybe people get concerned. But then you think about Alphabet. Think about all the travel related searches that now manifest themselves as actual booked trips. Travel is a huge category for search engine uh, advertising revenue. So I think there's a lot to like across the board. And generally speaking, when you have green in every sector, it's really hard to come up with reasons to be bearish. You know, Steph, one of the issues, and, and, and you pointed out well in your note today, and I think we got a little whiff of this last week with Apple and Facebook. Yes, you own Alphabet. Yes, you own Amazon. In terms of Alphabet, you say you're a little nervous. The stock's up 10 percent going into the print. We learn the hard way when you have a nice run into the print, despite the strength of the print itself, a stock can trade lower on the news. Absolutely. I do think it's going to be a very strong report. But yeah, the expectations are really high. That said, Scott, this stock still trades pretty cheaply on 2022 numbers. 23 times earnings on 2022 numbers, 10 times EV to EBITDA uh, for a CAGR of 16%. So, I mean, you have a, a very strong franchise. This quarter is all about the recovery in digital advertising. And we have already seen that happen in the third quarter relative to the second quarter. And I expect it to continue going forward. For, for Amazon, so I like it. I just, you know, if it's weak, I probably would be buying more. Um, Amazon, I think, look, we all know how strong e-commerce growth is, but retail online sales in the U.S. is actually only 20 percent penetrated. And then you have AWS, and we saw Azure with Microsoft growing 48 percent. Maybe AWS grows about 30 percent. They're much bigger, and that would be an acceptable number. And only 15 percent of the workloads are in the cloud. So there, there's still such tailwinds for this company, even though it is pricey. We can do the sum of the parts kind of an analysis kind of thing. Um, but I do like both of these names. I would look for opportunities to be buying both of these names. We'll see what, they, what the action is. And to Josh's point back on Amazon and the guidance um, and just the comps, they have very tough comps on the revenue line, but they have very easy comps 
on the operating margin line. Remember a quarter ago, uh, last year, the first quarter, the, the margins fell 210 basis points. And that is because they are heavily investing. And then the heavily investing theme starts to die down as you reopen. So we may have pretty good setup going forward uh, for Amazon. We'll have to see. You know, Jim, Deutsche Bank today, as it relates to Alphabet, reiterates their buy rating. They think you can get almost another 20 percent out of this stock. 2250 is their target. They say it's their top pick in all of Internet. You own it as well. And it was the laggard well documented last year. But now it's one of the leaders going into the number. What, how does all that factor together? Well, a good question, Scott. And it wasn't just last year. If you take a look at the last three years, it's lagged the rest of the Fang brethren. In fact, compare three years of Google to Apple, and you'll see Apple's had almost three, almost three times the total return. Uh, so it's not just last year, and that means there's more catch-up to go. The valuation is attractive, but here's what I think is the most important thing, is Google Cloud. I don't think people that I talk to in the investment management world are paying that much attention to Google Cloud. It is a a small but rapidly growing portion of their business, and you only need to look at Amazon Web Services and Microsoft Azure to see how important it could be to Google. I think that's what the growth driver is going forward, even though search and YouTube are going to be just fine. So if, if Google sells off today, that's a buying opportunity. You know what, Degas, you, you think that, that Alphabet is a little overvalued where it is now. You, you suggest that you wouldn't be buying shares right here despite that bullish call that I just read you with a $2,250 price target. Right, exactly. So we see it as overvalued. When we look at a percentile basis with the tech companies, we see that right now Alphabet is, is on that overvalued side. So we would see other opportunities in the tech space that we will probably put new capital to work outside of the Alphabet. We, we're still whole Alphabet, but we would not be putting new money to work in it. Yeah. What about Amazon, which you own as well? Right. Amazon is the same thing. Amazon is, once again, slightly overvalued, but we really like the profitability. If you look at Amazon, you're seeing that it, it came in at a very strong, approximately $12 uh, in its last report, $12 per share, compared to the, the Wall Street analysts saying $7. I mean, that is significant, 70% surprise. And everybody is looking at Amazon, so it's, it's, kind of, it's very hard to, to, out, uh, to surprise that positively. So we really like the Amazon platform, and we think that's a good stock. Once again, it's, it's starting to get a little bit above that fair value that we like to buy at. So we would not be new buyers, but we are definitely holding the company at these levels. Let me run through a few moves that all of you are making, too, which I find interesting today. Josh, I begin with you. New buys today of the SLV and Pan American Silver. That's P-A-A-S. Talk me through that. Is that trying to ride a momentum, a momentum wave uh, from the obvious reasons why we've seen silver go up? Yeah, it's not a new buy today. It's from last week. Um, I'm just making memes, having fun. I don't really... Uh, I don't get religious with precious metal stuff. I laugh at the people that do, um, sometimes to their face on this show. So I think these are trades. I think silver, though, when I look at gold having gotten back up to its prior highs um, in, in uh, nominal terms last year, and silver hasn't. And I find, that, I find that to be a really interesting setup in silver. 
Uh, and then the other thing about silver, which I don't think a lot of people really understand that well, is the fact that unlike gold, it does have significant industrial usage. Probably about half the demand for silver is not coming from jewelry or people hoarding coins. It's literally coming from the electric vehicle industry um, and from the solar industry. Silver is a very important component to some of the hottest technology sectors in the market, some of the hottest industrial uses. So you had a huge run in copper and nickel and lead and all of these industrial commodities. Gold did its thing last year, peaked sometime in August. Silver really hasn't gotten up off the mat until recently. So uh, I, I like it for that reason. I bought SLV. Uh, Pan American Silver is just like another add-on, uh, a sidecar, if you will. But that is one of the larger publicly traded silver miners. To be very clear, though, Anything commodity related to me is never a long-term investment. It's always a trade. Um, and I don't, you know, we, we don't love these mining stocks. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're not well-run companies. Go. I just want to be real clear to make sure I understand exactly where you're coming from. Since you bought it last week, did, did you buy it in yeah. anticipation of the Reddit-induced run-up? Um, and now you're no. holding it because of no. the fundamental investment reasons that you're talking about, or it had one was completely unrelated no. to the other. No, actually, if you go on my blog, I posted the case for silver, the fundamental case. It's funny. Well, Jeff, it's I mean, funny look, that they got caught up in in the memeology. I don't care about that. It, I'm not one of listen. I'm not one of these guys uh, going on TV and going on Twitter egging on short squeeze stuff. To get likes, that's not that's not my game. Like I have regarded this whole situation as let's hope the kids make money, but let's hope they do it in a way that they're not risking money they need, like for food and medicine, right? Like I'm I'm on the side of the kids, but I'm not out here like telling them hold the line. I'm not Ja Rule, so let's be very clear. So I own um, I own Barrick Gold, G O L D. Um, I'm down in it, but uh, that's like a precious metal stock I own. I bought it after Buffett bought it. Like, so I own a little bit of silver. I think there's a fundamental case based on the usage of silver in uh, a lot of the new technology areas that people are spending a lot of money on this year. So maybe it'll work, but uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm, I'm not diamond hands. You know what I'm saying? No, it's not. It, it, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you explained it. And, and look, I mean... You're not the only one who looks at silver removed from the current situation and has a fundamental story to tell. Goldman's head of commodities research, Jeffrey Curry, who is going to come yeah, on our program on Thursday and talk about it, today says that it's his preferred metal in the space. And he's got a price target of 30 to $33. He thinks that a short squeeze is unattainable because there's enough physical supply. So I'm glad you talked through it. Um, it is backed up by a view of, of others who know the space quite well that silver can continue to rise uh, completely removed from the current situation. Jim, let me go to you. You added to Salesforce. You added to Visa, which I mentioned earlier today, was one of those recovery and reopen uh, benefactors today. 
Yeah, I had a light commitment to both of these stocks, Scott. Uh, I, I added them to the portfolio a couple of months ago, and uh, they're small, so they haven't moved anywhere. Even though the market's gone up, they really haven't moved anywhere. So if I liked them two months ago, I like them now, and it's just time to build out the position. But to be clear, um, this is more of a feeling I had too much cash on hand. Where was I going to put it? I still have about 13% cash in managed portfolios, which is a lot. That's dry powder for any correction that may continue to occur. Okay. We'll bounce for a couple. We'll come back and we will look ahead. Jim Cramer's uh, out with an interesting list of stocks you need to know about. We want to take a look at those if we do get a larger market pullback, as some suggest. And as a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We are back on the half right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. I'm Courtney Reagan, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Near Fort Lauderdale, Florida, the FBI says two of its agents have been shot dead and three others wounded while serving a search warrant involving violent crimes against children. The suspect is also reported dead. In Oklahoma, police are investigating the shooting deaths of five children and a man, and a woman has been hospitalized with life-threatening injuries. A suspect has been arrested after leading police on a brief chase. State Department officials are calling the detention of Myanmar's elected officials a coup. They are promising sanctions and other measures against the generals who are responsible. And in Britain, Sir Captain, Sir Captain Tom Moore, the 100-year-old World War II veteran who raised millions in the pandemic aid, has died. More recently tested positive for COVID-19 and was hospitalized with breathing troubles on Sunday. Scott, back over to you. Yeah, that's so heartbreaking. It so much is. Courtney, thank you. Courtney Reagan with the latest there. All right. uh, We'll make a turn uh, after that unfortunate uh, and super sad story, uh, Degas. I want to talk to you about the moves that you've made. I went through the others. You sold paychecks uh, and you bought Quanta and Acom. Talk to me. Yeah, so... Basically, when we started looking at the portfolio, we saw that we had uh, some exposure, obviously, to industrial services. And we wanted to really make a move towards the infrastructure and sustainability. So, first of all, Quanta. Quanta is actually involved in the distribution and transmission of electricity. We're seeing that they have just completed a major project in Australia that they put in a very large windmill to uh, generate electricity. Also, we like the fact that they are one of the few companies that have invested in a uh, in a college that's focused on this type of work. And so that's something else that's very positive. And what we really like is the backlog. They have a 15 billion dollar backlog uh, into 2021, and that's going to do them very well. Likewise, Atcom. Atcom is a engineering construction management firm. And what they've done is that they've actually increased their profitability by focusing on the high profit uh, margins in this particular space. And they do a lot of work with the uh, cities working with them on sustainability and other issues. And once again, now their backlog is over $41 billion in 2021. So they have a very large backlog. 
13% gain over last year. So once again, they're doing a lot of work in the sustainability area, and we think these are two good companies that will benefit from any investment in infrastructure going forward. All right, I mentioned Jim Cramer's out with a list of some stocks to take a look at if we do get another sell-off. I've picked three of them just, just to, to do that because, you know, I, I tried to look for ownership and names that we haven't talked about uh, either today or most recently. Steph, Lamb Research is on the list. You own it. I do own it. And, you know, it's down 12% from its highs this year. It was up 20% to the start of the year. And a lot of that is because you're seeing a recovery or an anticipated recovery in DRAM. We've already seen NAND uh, spend be very strong, and that continues. So they beat, they raised, they're gaining market share. Uh, they had strong wafer fab equipment sales, and, I, and, and you have tight supplies. So you're going to get better pricing and better margins. So I like this story, especially down 12% from its highs. Yeah, well, look at it off its low, uh, up 180 percent. Josh yes. Brown, CrowdStrike yeah. on the list uh, from Cyber, along with Palo Alto, Zscaler, and Okta. Go to you because you own CrowdStrike, at least the last I checked you did. Yeah, that's a list of like very high growth, very high valuation names, many of them overlapping businesses. I don't, I don't know that you want to own all of them because there's going to be very high beta in these stocks. There are going to be huge drawdowns along the way. That's just how it goes uh, when you're trying to invest in innovation. But CrowdStrike is my favorite of that group. Um, it's a stock that I actually spent uh, last year averaging up in, uh, which I very rarely do. But uh, I'm in there. Uh, I think the company has a really bright future. I think what they do is very unique from other cybersecurity players, and they seem to be capturing the largest companies and governments as clients in the world. They seem to have um, all the swag right now. So I'm long CrowdStrike. I believe in it. I know it's not cheap, but I think it's not cheap for a reason. Yeah, good day. Uh, good day for that stock for certain. Lastly, Farmer Jim, to you, um, NXP. NXP uh, for 5G, Oh man, says Jim Cramer. Yeah, at this stock, I mean, we can all talk about how much easier this stock is than Intel. Um, and I know Steph feels the same way. Making that switch was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, the stock is fabulous. <laughs> it's heavily exposed to automotive shares. Um, and we know automotive is going well. I mean, you look at GM, you look at any of the other parts manufacturers. This is the, this is the one to be in. And it's not just automotive. This was takeover bait about four years ago. And I think it will be again in a heavily consolidating space. I wasn't going to rub it in either about about Intel at, at all. I'm glad you um, you brought that up yourself and, and noted the benefits <laughs> I love, of, of, I love of life that trade. right now. Yeah, I was I was looking I love out life for you. right now, Scott. Uh, let me get to Ava. Eamon yeah. Javers has some breaking news for us. Let me uh, jump down to him, if I may. Eamon. Yeah, Scott, that's right. We're now getting the response from former President Trump to the impeachment article against him uh, ahead of what is expected to be a trial in the Senate on his impeachment by the House of Representatives about his role in the January 6th storming of the Capitol, violence, riots and deaths. Uh, that we saw on that date. What Trump is arguing here through his lawyers is two things. One, uh, essentially that he can't be tried on this by the Senate because he is no longer president of the United States. This is a constitutional argument that Trump is putting forward through his lawyers, suggesting that the impeachment process, as envisioned in the Constitution, does not apply to former 
president. And because he was impeached while president, but is a former president now, uh, this whole process is effectively moot. Uh, the second thing uh, that Trump is arguing here uh, is he says, ultimately, uh, the president uh, believes as a, a private citizen, the Senate has no jurisdiction over his ability to hold office in the future. So he's saying that not only can he not be removed from office because he's president, but the Senate can't block him from holding office in the future. The, pres the former president here uh, denying that he did anything to incite the rioters, arguing that he simply took advantage of his First Amendment rights as a, any American citizen could do. All of this now following uh, the House impeachment uh, managers laying out their case against the president, suggesting that the Constitution does allow for the president to be blocked from former office. Their argument is that because there's a two-step process in the Constitution, one is impeachment and if convicted in the Senate, a removal, and a second process in the Senate for a second vote to determine whether that official should be blocked from future office, that because the official is removed by the Senate and then there's a vote on that now former official whether to that official can hold office in the future, Therefore, this is a constitutional process as envisioned by the United States Constitution. So clearly we're going to have some constitutional arguments in this process, and we're also going to have some arguments about what degree of responsibility the former president bears for the attack on the Capitol. Scott, back over to you. To be continued there for certain, Eamon, thank you so much. Eamon Javers, very latest uh, for us on that story. Up next... Brandon Copeland is back, linebacker for the Patriots, as you know, also a member of CNBC's Financial Wellness Council. We'll get his thoughts on closing the racial wealth gap, being a champion for financial literacy and more. We'll ask him a question about the Super Bowl, of course. We'll do that next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. There's a reason why this NFL player decides to take his off-seasons and go back to his alma mater just to teach a course on financial literacy. The lack in access to information has caused the racial wealth gap over centuries. It's time that we finally put an emphasis on financial education in our schools throughout the country, but specifically in black and brown communities. And that was New England Patriots linebacker Brandon Copeland in celebration of Black History Month. We asked some of our CNBC contributors to share the money lessons they've learned growing up, how they are working to close the racial wealth gap, and their advice to empower the next generation of black Americans. Brandon joins us once again. Welcome back. It's good to see you. I'm glad you're here to talk about this topic. Always a pleasure to see you, Scott. Yeah, pleasure's mine. What is your advice, first and foremost, to the next generation? 
Yeah, I think, you know, obviously there's a lot of things going on. And, and I, I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned is, is that when you're talking about investing, you talk about growing, growing wealth, it's a time thing, right? Patience is key. And so, you know, there's a lot of get rich quick schemes out there. There are a lot of ways to make money fast. But in the long run, uh, we want to find the ways to create sustainable investment opportunities um, so that, again, we're building wealth for the long run, not only ourselves, but also our families and generations to come. So patience. Yeah, you and me, you and me, we, we've talked so often about these sorts of topics and it, it always comes down to access um, and maybe better said the, the lack thereof. And you lay that out very well in your opening soundbite to get into this segment. In this case, we're talking about access to information and access most importantly, to education. Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, one of the reasons why I take the time to do this is because I realized that by being in the NFL, I received a bunch of different financial advice and financial tips. And I was like, well, what was the difference between me a year ago? Like, was I not worthy of some of this uh, knowledge and, and, and understanding that that knowledge is power? So, you know, I started Life 101, started doing that at Penn for the past few years, now doing it for everybody, access for everyone and anyone. So www.life101.io, I encourage everyone to, to go and sign up and come have live virtual classes with me. But ultimately, like you said, Scott, it's about access to information and education so that people have a chance, right? You don't have a chance to build wealth. You don't have, it's not, we're not even talking about wealth. You don't even have a chance to, to do the proper things with your money if you never learn them. And when we look at our schools and, and our education systems, when did we have a class on budgeting? When did we have a real class talking about credit and buying our first home and buying a car versus leasing it? And these are realities of life. And the decisions that we make in those moments carry with us for all of our lives, right? The 30-year mortgages, right? Like, so we need to start teaching these things. And again, I'm, I'm proud to be able to do it through my classroom with Life 101. Again, that's life101.io. Where where are you in terms of your your own personal level of optimism that we are finally going to tackle some of the issues that you speak about? Do you feel that society has now woken up enough to realize that these um, issues not only exist, but have gotten worse, perhaps? And are you optimistic that we're actually going to focus on solving it? Yeah, I'm always going to be an uh, optimist. I'm a, I naturally see the glasses half full. However, I do believe that there are still a lot of people in decision making, uh, with decision making ability and in places of power who just still don't understand or at this point just don't want to understand. Right. Um, you know, even the thing that I mentioned earlier about patience, it's easy to tell somebody that, hey, have patience, invest over the long term. But when you cannot eat tonight. Right. And that has been. Uh, not only caused by, it's not just caused by your own inadequacies, it's caused by a systemic issues that have plagued where you started in life and where you are today, right? We need everyone to, to kind of join in on the conversation. So I do, I am proud that there are a lot of more people having the conversation, teams in the NFL, you know, us at the Patriots, comfortable having these conversations. Uh, we saw Coach you know, did not uh, accept the, the Medal of Honor uh, recently and everything like that. But um, 
But I think that there's still more that needs to be done. And I hope that we don't allow lip service to get in the way of us actually acting on programs that actually will change people's lives, literally. You still save 90% of your earnings? I do. A little bit more, actually. You know, we've we've been tightening it up around here, man. (laughs) But yeah, no, it's it's been... Everybody's had to do that. (laughs) Yeah, everybody's had to do that. Lastly, and I got to run, who do you like on Sunday? Oh, man, I want to see Tom Brady do it, man. I think that's a a storybook ending. I know the Chiefs have plenty of weapons. I'm not going against them. I have no horse in the race, so to speak. Wish I was playing right, but um, I, I think that that's like a real storybook ending, uh, not even an ending for him, but I, I think it's a real storybook uh, season for a guy like Tom Brady. So um, it's been amazing to watch what he's done this year. Yeah, d- don't call it an ending. He's now talking about playing till he's 45. So we'll see. And by the way, who knows where you're, you'll end up uh, next season. You're a free agent as of March, I think. You correct me if I'm wrong, but we're going to follow you, see where you end up, recover from your injury, keep talking to us about this very important topic, and I hope we talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Likewise, you take care of Scott. All right, that's Brandon Copeland joining us there. To read more about this, go to cnbc.com forward slash invest in you. We're back in two minutes. Let's do the futures outlook now. The Nasdaq 100 is rallying again today. Bill Baruch and Jeff Kilberg join me now to talk about that. Bill, you're up first. Big tech, that's the topic. There are a lot of driving forces here, and technicals are certainly one of them. Last week, the market stalled exactly at our upside target, 13,550. And then on the lows, take a look at this chart, held the 50-day moving average in a trend line going back to the middle of December. So in the rearview mirror, there's a big level now, 12,897. That's the 100% extension from the February highs last year to those March lows. Out above there, we're calling the NASDAQ in a breakout. So now we're looking at that 13,550 again, gets out above there, closes above there in a week. There's no doubt in my mind we're talking 14,000 thousand plus interesting jeff you agree all right judge well i think we do push higher short term but i know we're all waiting for super bowl sunday but today is the super bowl for all giant technology names so look at amazon google we're eagerly awaiting the report after the close they make up 15 percent of the nasdaq 100 so it's all contingent upon if they deliver and beat expectations where the nasdaq 100 is going yeah, well, they could beat and still go down. Uh, hello, Apple and Facebook. So it's not, it's, maybe it's not so cut and dry. We'll see. Guys, thank you. We'll talk to you again soon. We'll do final trades next. All right, final trades. Steph, then Degas, then Josh, then Jim. Steph, go first. Caterpillar, great quarter. Thermo Fisher, greater quarter. <laughs> CrowdStrike. General Motors should be a great quarter. Yeah, a nice, a nice gain there. All right, Amazon, Apple, the countdown is on. What a great day uh, for stocks it is. Best couple of days for the S&P, in fact, since November. That does it for us. Thanks. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, 
The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.